Buffalo, stand up. It's the mafia. <laughs> uh, it's a Bill City. Yeah, a Buffalo Bill City. Yo, uh, it's a Bill City. Yeah, a Buffalo Bill City. Yo, we got Josh Allen, got Step Diggs, we got Cole, Deion Dawkins, cause you know it's about to snow. You know we on a roll No competition and it's not even close What's up everyone? Welcome into a brand new edition of the Folding Roundtable The Bills podcast from Trainwreck Sports and the Buffalo fan base With a new lineup every single week tonight Some familiar faces from last week And also two new members of the roundtable So before we get into Bills Packers, the 53-man roster Josh Allen for this year and loads more of Bill's stuff. Let me introduce everyone that we have here tonight. So obviously, uh, top middle right there, my partner in crime from the Crowdices podcast. We've actually been doing it for, this is our second season. It's all, it's just past our one-year anniversary of working together. Kevin Masseri, right to his right. Robin Mundy, editor-in-chief of the Buffalo fan base and the godmother of Bill's Mafia, bottom left. Mookie Hawkins was just on the radio with him on uh, 96.5 Power FM and uh, last night, and it was a blast. Excited to talk with him again tonight. Ryan Talbot down in the middle, half of the duo from New York Upstate. And then, of course, bottom right, generally likable guy, uh, cap genius, Greg Tomset from Cover One. And obviously, there's a lot of things going on this week, like, you know, roster cuts and everything going on after the preseason game. So Greg was kind of a, you know, the the, uh, the the go-to guy for me when I'm looking at cap stuff and, you know, roster construction. He's a whiz with this. So he was just a natural guy to bring in here. But before we get into all of this, you know, let's start talking about Josh Allen. Like, that's, let's start on a positive note. A lot of negativity in the Bills media sphere right now. But let's talk about something everyone loves talking about, and that's Josh <laughs> Allen. Specifically, Nick Wright loves talking about Josh Allen. He doesn't know what he's saying sometimes, but you know what? As Bills Mafia... It's our duty to debunk some of his laziest and just baseless takes. And he had one a few days ago that we're going to play right now for you guys. Oof. Well, bargain's going to be tough. It, it, it's arguably the best contract from a player's perspective ever given out in NFL history. Sure. You know, some would say Mahomes is better, but I, I think this is maybe the most player-friendly best contract ever. So it's tough to make that a bargain. And I... I don't want to say I, I'm predicting it will be a bust, but I think it's far more likely to become an albatross than it is, oh my God, good thing we signed him early because he would have been worth $60 million a year. And that's not because Josh Allen wasn't excellent last year. He was excellent last year. It's because last year was literally the only excellent year, not of his NFL career, of his football career. Josh Allen was not a great high school player. It's why he had no Division I offers. He was not a great junior college player. He was less than 50% completions. He was not a great college player. The best he ever did was second team Mountain West. He was a bad rookie and a mediocre second year player. A bad rookie and a mediocre second year player. Greg, as my resident capologist here tonight on the folding round table, 
is there any reason to worry about Josh Allen's contract? Because I know some people maybe think that maybe paid him just a little bit too much. Are you worried whatsoever about that? So there's two different ways to look at that. Am yeah. I worried? No. I, I feel confident that that's the going rate for a franchise quarterback, and that's simply what it costs. Is there any reason to worry? Sure. You know, I mean, we we just committed $258 million <laughs> to a person. If something happens or he goes wrong, yeah, we're sunk. It's, it's going to be a disaster. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, he was second in the MVP. He's shown a linear uh, amount of improvement. Every year, the reason that he gets better is because he's shown an incredible amount of coachability, willingness to, you know, strip his mechanics down to the studs and rebuild them. You know, you know, he works so hard with Jordan Palmer. He's built the relationships with Shea Tierney, with Ken Dorsey, with Brian Dable. You know, I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that he's going to be incredibly sustainable and that even if it's not quite as amazing as last year, it's not coming back down far. You know, he could exceed last year. He could do just as well as last year. And if he doesn't, it's going to be right there. They've surrounded him with too much talent and too many people around him. But anytime you ask anyone what's going to happen eight years from now is crazy to think, you know, yeah, of course there's risk involved when you commit to someone. We're committed to pay him $51 million seven years from now. That's a ton of money. I, I hope that by that time, because of the TV contracts, because of the contracts that Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow and uh, Spencer Rattler and guys who haven't even been drafted yet, maybe they're getting paid $60 million by that time. And Josh Allen is a huge uh, you know, discount. And we're super excited that we have him at that cost. So I'm not nervous. I think it was smart to lock him up for that long. I think there's going to come a point three, four years into this deal where it's going to become a discount because of how much other people got paid. Yep. But anyone saying that there's no risk in committing eight years out to somebody is probably being wishful. There's, Of course there's risk. Of course there's risk, but you know the buzzword right now is regression. Alan, regression. And a lot of people think that regression just means getting worse when reality it means going closer to average. Ryan, if, if there is any amount of Allen regression this year, like, do we even have a baseline to kind of measure that with? Because he's had three seasons who have been completely different, mainly because of, you know, his dedication to, you know, fixing his mechanics and everything. Yeah, I don't know if there's a baseline for that necessarily. But but listen, could he throw more interceptions this year than he did one year ago? Absolutely. Uh, how many batted balls just landed innocently on, on the turf or uh, were dropped by defenders? That happens to every quarterback. So year-by-year year, interception rates are, are going to differ. His uh, completion percentage might not be hovering near 70%, but I still think it's going to be in the, the mid-60s at worst. So he, he could see some some slight drops here and there just because of – the ascension that he made from year two to year three. But to Greg's point, look at the talent that's around him. Uh, you're talking Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie. And that's just your top five. And there's still talent behind those guys. You have a solid offensive line that you've pretty much had in place. Obviously there's still going to be some guard differences this year because Cody Ford looks like he's in that uh, in line to start. He's had some injuries, yeah. but the majority of that line's been together too. So there's also that, cohesiveness with them, the coaching staff, Brian Dable, first and foremost, and then uh, the, the people that he's worked with, not only on this coaching staff, but also in the offseason, year in, year out. He, he's always working to improve his game. 
Yeah, that's one thing that you can always say about him is that he is he's got a work ethic like almost no other, and he's always looking to improve. You know, Mookie, you and I talked about this a little bit last night, how he is in the top ten uh, in the NFL top one hundred right now. Uh, you know, you and I are in the same camp that he should be in that like six to eight range, you know, at the very worst, really, because of how well he played. Um, but, you know, specifically talking about 2021, what are your personal expectations for Josh Allen? Do you expect him to stay pat with his baseline or are you, ex- you will you accept some wiggle room in uh, maybe the direction you'd be a little disappointed with? Well, let me just start off with this. Why are we waiting for a Josh Allen letdown that has not happened yet? I'm that's I'm, I'm, what I'm I was trying to figure for. out. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out why everybody is trying to like listen. Let me, Nick Wright has to lie to kick it. All right, now now if he has a platform, and I get that. You know, what I mean, a lot of people has platforms where they can say and and and, and it to them is gold. But let's talk realistic. Let's go back to the clip that you just played, right? Yeah. They're still waiting on the down. Why are people worried about Josh Allen? Josh Allen wasn't the number one overall pick in that year's draft. You need to be talking about that quarterback if he's a bust at this point. The Buffalo Bills pay $258 million, all right? They're not paying $258 million for a bust. So why are we still telling, saying that Josh Allen is a bust? I thought they were saying that last year with Josh. That's why the Bills brass went out and got a Stephon Dix because they need to know year three, is this guy our franchise guy or is he a bust? So $258 million just answered that question. The bust factor is over with. You should be having that debate with Baker Mayfield at this point. All right. So in another thing, he want to talk about, he wants to run down Josh storyline. Oh, he went there. He did. He went there. He didn't have these many offers. Let me ask you one question. How many offers did Tom Brady have coming out of college? And I'm going to wait. All right? What did Tom Brady get drafted in? And I'm going to wait. So all that stuff that Nick Wright be going on and talking about that everybody loved, like that's some storyline. Let's talk realistic, please. All right? Let's be realistic. Josh Allen is going to throw for 5,000 yards this year. That's realistic. All right. That's realistic. Josh Allen, those are my expectations because I want to see improvement each year. Why are we trying to pray or hope for a downfall and make an excuse for it right now? That's not happening. Are y'all witnessing what Josh Allen is doing in training camp? Are y'all listening to what Emmanuel Sanders said about Josh Allen? Come on, man. We got to stop nicknaming this, man. I mean, is it hate or what's going on? You know what I mean? Josh Allen has done nothing but defied all the doubters. And they still, look, just like my man Fabulous says, when the hate don't work, they start telling lies, man. Come on, man. Why are we talking about this right now? Josh Allen is way beyond the bus factor. Josh Allen right now is an elite quarterback status right now. Josh Allen has made the biggest jump from the NFL top 100 in history. So why are we talking about is he a bust? Where is Baker Mayfield at on that chart right now? You know, where is – you know, well, he went before Josh Rosen. But at the end of the day, people still was feeling that Josh Rosen was better than Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So let's let's I don't want to hear no more about Josh Allen being a buzz. Mm-hmm. If he has a letdown, then Josh Allen, this is worse on critic. He know how to get out of it. You know, I just I'm just tired of that narrative. Yeah. Let's talk expectations. Let's talk about doing something that real elite quarterbacks do. An elite mm-hmm. club like five thousand. He's going to throw for over 5,000 yards this year. Now, his interceptions may be the same just because he still has that 
hey, he's that gunslinger mentality. You know what I mean? He's going to try to force some things in there. And if you see what he's been doing in practice, <laughs> he's been doing just that. And guess what? What he's been working on that, you know, that people stop talking about because we cut, we had to stop talking about it. You know, Josh said I'm working on them in cuts. So, you know, that's going to come with a lot of precision and a lot of dartboard plan in order to get it in that tight window. So I don't expect no drop off from Josh Allen. I expect just like everybody else expects him. I expect Josh Allen to be the MVP of this league. I expect Josh Allen to lead this team to a Super Bowl win, lose, or draw. They get there. All right. I expect Josh Allen to throw over 5,000 yards. And guess what? Everybody else's numbers stay the same, too, because there's no drop off offensively. You got Dawson Knox, who's year three, and you got Emmanuel Sanders, who's a slight better pick than John Brown. Beasley digs another year. The whole line back another year. Where's some excuse <laughs> out of the clear blue sky that a, a, a let off is going to happen for Josh Allen this year? Are you kidding me? Why is we having this discussion about Josh Allen? We need to be having that discussion about every other quarterback in the league. Besides him, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, you know, everybody else is on notice. So I don't know why we were at Pat Mahomes. Mm-hmm. He's the second highest quarter paid quarterback in the NFL right now. Why is we talking about a bus like? Come mm-hmm. on. Yeah, yeah, maybe. No, I mean, it's it's a good point, Luke, because there's a floor now, right? Isn't there a floor that Josh Allen could conceivably maybe reach? But it's not low. I mean, that floor is you have one of those guys that are going to lead you. It's like it's like it's like when you have Andrew Luck, or it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, at worst, what are they, you know, ten and seven or, or eleven, you know, whatever, you know, eleven and eight. Like, what at, at worst, like, what is what is the floor for Josh Allen? And I think that's where the Bills are right now. That the floor is extremely high. I mean, even if he had a down year, I mean, the, the Bills are very competitive. Um, and quite frankly, they're probably still winning the division with a down year for Josh Allen. So I think they're now in conversations to have one of the top four guys, one of those guys that you consistently know is going to be like oh, Josh Allen again. He's going to take the Bills to the playoffs. Whether, you know, how far they go in the playoffs is another discussion we can have. But um, he's going to always be one of those quarterbacks that, quite frankly, could play terribly, even like we've seen from Aaron Rodgers in, in years past, and still take his team to the to the uh, playoffs just be how good he is so I think you have one of those regimes here from Josh Allen and yeah Mook Mook made a good point of like why are we talking about a bust at this point he's kind of proven that his team wins when he plays like look at Wyoming who wasn't very good now they're all in the bills actually like pretty much his whole team is <laughs> by the bills at this stage um but if you look at it like the team sucked when he doesn't play there and I know you know my guy Bruce Nolan hates quarterback wins um but I like him I mean I quite frankly think you look at a, at a sport and if a player plays and the team wins I don't know. I think there's a little bit to that, just like whether it's soccer or baseball. If that player plays and the team wins games, Aaron judges of the world, I don't know. Maybe he matters. Um, So I think at this point, like, can you quantify QB wins? No, but I can say that the team is absolutely better and wins football games when Josh Allen plays, whether it's college um, or whether it's the pros. The team was way better when Josh Allen was on the field. Look at him. Look at the games that he didn't play um, in his career. The team sucked. Like there were some bad (laughs) rosters there. Yeah. Now the team is competitive every single game he plays, whether it's against Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, or Tom Brady. The team is, you know, at worst a two or two point underdog on the road. And you mentioned Wyoming. So that's a perfect segue into into Robin here. Robin, you've seen him grow from the beginning until now. Sorry, Greg, I think you're muted and I cut you off, but we'll get to you soon. Uh, you know, just you know, take the floor on Josh Allen here. You know, just expectations going into 21. And why are why is there still that narrative? Why isn't he being treated maybe in the media like those other elite quarterbacks? It's that's that's the question that I've been asking myself 
mm. a million times. I want to back up a little bit to something Mookie was talking about lies and Nick Wright kind of go hand in hand. When he was talking about he didn't do anything, Josh didn't do anything when he was in high school. Uh, yes, he did. When he went to college. Uh, yes, he did. And he can say what he wants and throw out whatever statistics he wants to throw out. But what Kevin was saying is really true. All he does is win. He knows how to win. I don't know how to put this in words. It's very hard to describe something intangible, but you could see it in Josh. The first time that I saw him play at the University of Wyoming, I didn't go to the games, but I watched and I watched the sidelines and I listened to every interview he had when he was in college. And you could tell that this kid was different. He was different. And so I think the reason why we have this narrative is because how many people were all over Josh Rosen in that mm -hmm. draft? That How many people in Buffalo wanted Josh Rosen to be the quarterback? How many people booed in the field house when Josh, when Josh was selected? I just freaked out. It was like, am I really hearing Bills fans booing? That just blew me away. It, and, and they had to dub it out. You know, if you listen to it now when they have recordings of it, they've, they've taken the booze out of it, but I heard it. And I will never forget it, to be honest with you. I think it was one of the lowest points I can remember as a Bills fan. You know, the kid is a good kid. And he doesn't deserve the crap that he gets from the media. And I think it's all about ego. Because, oh... You know, everybody said Josh Rosen was supposed to be, you know, the chosen one, whatever. You know, look at look at where Sam Darnold is at. He's on his second team. You know, he was drafted higher. Look at where Trubisky's at. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> but I think that I think the media got a case of um, embarrassment for one thing. And that's the bottom line. I'm a believer in using statistics as guidelines, but you also have to use your eyes. You also have to have some common sense yeah. and, and be objective, you know, when you're evaluating someone, what kind of a, you know, what, what is it about Josh Allen that triggers people to be so <laughs> nasty? I, I, I don't even understand it. Their evaluations. Yeah, that's what it was. Exactly. People hate to admit they were wrong. <laughs> is one oh. thing. I mean, I mean, and I mean, I was I remember where I was when he when he was drafted. I was at UB. I was a junior and I was doing a management information systems project. And I hated that class. I hated my TA. I hated the professor. My girlfriend is the reason I passed that class. I'm, I'm, I'm happy admitting that now. And I heard Josh, and then it was like the scene in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie when they say it starts with an S, and then it ends up being Squidward, and then they say they say Alan, and I threw my headphones at the wall because I was listening to it, not watching it, and I was really upset. Very happy I was wrong. Very happy. And you know what? You said that they had to edit out those boos. You know, Josh Allen heard them too. He knew he had yes. a base to prove wrong, that he wasn't exactly welcome into right off the bat. So no... No, no doubt in my mind, no doubt in my mind that, you know, we're going to continue to see the same old Josh Allen that we've seen over the last 16, 17, 18, however many games he play, played last year. Um, but 
There are question marks about some guys who we're going to see. And we were talking about before this started, whether or not we were going to touch on it. And it really just, there's a, if we're going to be podcasters, reporters talking about bills, there's a responsibility to talk about all the things going on with Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie getting fined today. If you want to share your thoughts on this, definitely comment. We want your guys' opinion on this too. And, you know, vaccine aside, we won't give our personal views on the vaccine, but, you know, how ignorant do you kind of have to be to not wear, not abide by the policies that the NFL put in place on a day when you know league people, league personnel are going to be in your building making sure that you're doing it? Like, that's the day that Isaiah McKenzie got caught not once but twice without a mask. And that shows to me that maybe he's trying to make a statement that could be part of it, but I just, I'm not sure that's the time and the place. And I do agree with the sentiment that vaccinated players should be tested at the same rate as unvaccinated. That's the state of the world. Really. We see the Delta variant. We see everything. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to rant about that. What I will say is that I think the one good point that I see they have right now, as far as, you know, the NFLPA bargaining for a little more is making sure that vaccinated players are at least tested the same as unvaccinated. Whoever wants to take the floor on this, feel free to right now. Um, you know, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, just because it obviously is a dis- difficult subject. But, you know, even McDermott just seems distraught by this right now and defeated. So, you know, whoever we were talking a little bit before, whooever wants it, go for it. Well, they're a little distraught because they don't know how to handle it. Nobody does. Nobody knows how to handle it. Yeah. I mean, how, how would you feel as a coach – um, I have vaccinated players. I have unvaccinated players. I have unvaccinated players, you know, not wearing a mask. And I have vaccinated players getting COVID. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, as a coach, you cannot even begin to even figure what's going on in Coach McDermott's mind. I mean, he's doing an excellent job just being sane with all it. Rules is rules, so he got to stand by the yeah. rules in order, you know, that's what his job description says, you know. 100%. Right? That's down, exactly where he shared he feels, his. Whatever his opinion is, he still has to abide by the rules. So, you know, it's chain of command and it, and it, and it rolls that way. But, um, yeah, it's only out for vaccinated players. They get those fines for, you know, not being vaccinated. And the reason why he was fined because when the trainer, when the trainer uh, that was vaccinated caught COVID, you got to go to the cameras and see who was near him. So yeah, you might caught McKenzie that had his mask half mask while they talking, having a conversation, and you know it's just half mask. He had his mask on, he was lifting, but they just having a general conversation. His mask is here. It's a violation now because someone during that conversation has contracted. So that's where that came from. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it happened today and then, you know, he got to find the next day. You know, they had to go back to the cameras to identify who was around the yes. trainer, you know, who contracted it. So that's how that happened. So once the league looks at all that, this is ran by the league. It's not ran by the bill. You know, the, the league, you know, manicures that. You don't think that the coaches and everything, the strip people was around seeing McKenzie with his mask, half mask wasn't on? You know what I mean? So it boiled down to what they saw on the cameras. And I'm quite sure McKenzie is not disrespecting protocol in that fashion. All right. To be, and especially being on unva- and being, you know, not vaccinated. You know what I mean? Because those are the fines. They're not fining players that's vaccinated. They're only the ones who's not completely masked up when they're around 
places where they need to be masked up at. So it's a no tolerance rule with the NFL. They do not care if you had it down for five seconds, 30 seconds, whatever. If you're on camera with that, with it down and you're unvaccinated, that's just how the NFL works. That's how the shield works. Right. You know, one thing um, in a past life, I, I used to be a nurse. And so I have probably some solid views on uh, some people would say I'm rather militant pro-vax, whatever. Um, my thing is right now, people don't understand that in this pandemic, we don't have all the answers and we have to do things based on research, on evidence-based research. And that only happens as you have a chance to evaluate as you go. And so the CDC looks like a bunch of clowns because every five minutes they're changing the protocols and people say, see, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> well, no, we don't know what we're doing because that's what we're doing is trying to find out. And so when protocols change, it's because information has come along to lead us to believe that we have to change the protocol. So I expect like you were mentioning earlier, that we're going to see some changes by the NFL again. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to roll with the punches. You know, we have to be more flexible and understanding that this is going, this, we're all in this together and it's all a crapshoot. And everything that we're doing right now is research-based and we have to go on the fly at this point. And so when we came out, and I knew this all the way along because coronaviruses are from the same family of viruses as the common cold. And the reason why we never had a vaccine against the common cold is because it mutates so much. So we can expect that there are going to be changes as we go. When, when the first booster came out or the first shot came out, I told people, we're going to end up having boosters. We're going to end up treating this like flu shots. This is this is the new reality that we're going to be in. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I get it, people are frustrated and they're bored and they're sick of being, you know, at home. And I get all of that. But what we have to do is I think all take a deep breath and start being a little bit more patient. Yeah. With each other, because it's frustrating. We're all frustrated. We all want to go on. We all want to live our lives. And we can't do it right now. And no matter what side of the fence you're on with this, I think we all need to take a step back and just try to be um, a little more patient with one another. Yeah. And I think you got to help your community. Like, that's the number one thing you can have to do, yes. you know, regardless of what side of the fence you're on. Think about other people. Like, I mean, I think that's the number one thing you can do in life. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, we shouldn't have this era of going to somebody's house and saying, I'm sick, I'm sick, don't come near me. Well, you shouldn't be there. Like, you should be at home and you should be like, I know it's FOMO. I know there's things going on in life, but you need yeah. to think of other people. Um, so if you're, you know, if you have your own personal beliefs, well, at the very least, you should be masked up and you should be following and you should be very, very safe. Um, and you should be thinking about your team and potentially your employer, which in, in this case is winning football games. Um, you know, right. you put your team 
in a bad position to where you not have a receiver room um, and, you know, and essentially you're running in, you know, Sims or you're running in players that weren't here. So, I mean, those are the kind of things that you're putting your team in position to, to your employer in position to have struggles with. Think about other people. That's all you can do in this, in this. Um, I fought COVID for a year. I was a contact tracing supervisor for a while. I decided that was my calling to do. Um, I watched the worst of the worst attitudes and mentalities. Um, I fought COVID many different ways from my computer, um, but it was a really eye-opening experience to watch what was going on in our community in Rochester and Buffalo, um, not not across the country, and just mm-hmm. how much misinformation there really is, whether McDermott or Bean says there is or isn't. Um, tons of misinformation, tons of people actually thinking that there's going to be some terrible effects from the vaccine. Um, and, you know, it's just really unfortunate. I think that misinformation was a huge part of this, the situation. And yeah. you would like to see players like leaders in, in the locker room, like Cole Beasley, like Isaiah McKenzie, you know, be able to understand the other side of the coin. Like I understand what Beasley's saying with, you know what? They're making us do something that's not right. This and that. I think there's some credence to that. And he says he's speaking up for the players that don't have a voice, who might not get tryouts, who might get cut based on this when the 53s come and they're like Andre Smith or or whoever. You know, mm-hmm. Quentin Moore gets that 85. percent Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, look, think about it. Like, we need to get to that 85, 90. You know, eh, you know that gets a really sticky line really quickly. So I understand what Cole's saying with that on on a personal level. But you just got to think of your team. Um, and if you're if you've made the conscious decision to not get vaccinated for whatever your reason is, be safe and think about your room, think about your employer and think about your family. How can you do that? Wear a mask and be safe and follow social distancing and maybe miss a few events like it sucks. But maybe you can't go out and you can't, you know, yeah, can't go to the restaurant that night. I, I don't know. Maybe you got to pick and choose what you can do until you're comfortable with potentially getting a vaccine someday. What what if that player was born as a diabetic? Yourself, buddy. <laughs> then what? What if that player was born a diabetic? Sure. I, I mean, do? oh yeah, there's certainly there, different there folks. That, yeah. There aren't a ton of active type one diabetics in the NFL. There are a handful. Um, the overall we got point that all of us go that? through. We got accurate numbers on that. You stand by those numbers that you're saying. Do you know that? Do you know that? No, there's a lot of people who no. can't get the vaccine. Right, but you, there's I, lots I of people. You said there's people a lot that, of people who can't get the vaccine. So all the different people that go through, all of us have jobs. Most of us have jobs. Not, not all of us. Um, all of us have employers. <laughs> Does everyone agree with every policy that your employer has? Never. Does everyone agree? You you obviously comply with it to some standpoint. You know, there, there are things that, whether it's drug testing, whether it's ability to participate in certain holidays, whether it's certain ways that you dress, certain ways that you act, um, expectations in different areas. I don't know that everyone agrees with every single policy that their employer mandates of them or requires of them as part of your contract with it. Many people um, have the benefit of having representation by a union who can speak on their behalf to be able to fight for their rights or, or abilities to negotiate there. Both those things have happened here that there is a employment contract agreement between an employer and an employee. There is union representation to negotiate those rights and expectations. Both those things have happened in the NFL. Um, I certainly think that the percentages show why some of the uh, group that does not feel they're being represented probably got outvoted in the NFLPA. So I understand feeling 
a sense of maybe some helplessness because if the percentages are showing, I think somewhere in the 85 to 90% range for the league, that still represents 10 to 15% of the NFL, 10 to 15% of the NFL. You're still talking about 400 players across the NFL that Mm -hmm. did not choose to do so. And then, but are in an NFL PA that has agreed to many of these things on their behalf as part of their, you know, employment contract. So I, I understand the frustration. I understand the situation that many of them are in. I also understand the pragmatic approach that Sean McDermott has taken to this. In which I, you, before we started, shared, you were talking about it super well. So I was, I wanted you to get to this, Greg. Thank you. So you know, he's, I think, walked that line really, really well. I have a great deal of respect for the way that he's approached yes. it in yes. sharing, not yes. hiding from his personal feelings on it, what mm-hmm. he prefers, what he thinks is best for his team, what he thinks is best for his country without saying everyone must do this, without talking down to the people that have chosen not to, without making them feel inferior or less intelligent or that they're making some huge mistake, but still sharing that I think they should. I think we've shared information that explains why they should, and I think it's the right thing to do for our team and for our country. I I think that's as, as good as he can do. I think that's as much as you can ask of a leader is to provide all the information, share exactly what you want, explicitly explain why, share all the information that's there, and then hope that that message resonates with your people. Um, And and I I think that's what he's done. And I hope that that puts the team into a position where they can move forward. I do hope that some of the changes we've heard recently, there was a proposal sent back to the NFLPA in the past hour that Mm -hmm. states moving testing from 14 days back to seven days. I know the NFLPA's request is daily and that both vaccinated and unvaccinated players are both tested daily, which many of the things we saw, like the trainer with the bills was a vaccinated employee knowing about that earlier. Certainly sounds like it has some benefits. Um, (laughs) I'm curious to see if some of the, I, heck, the Bills weren't even the worst outbreak. We, they had nine players test positive in the Tennessee. Titans. Oh um, yes. So the, there are quite a bit of concern that I'm sure is being discussed at the highest levels of the NFL right now, uh, and that they have, you know, 17 days until the Bills kick off for real. Uh, th- <laughs> there's going to be some serious discussion of the best way to go about this and how they could protect this season. And that's why we have to be a little more patient with things that change, you know, that this is changing, you know, from one week to the next. The other thing that I just want to say also, um, I don't know about you guys, but I could not look at Sean McDermott and not have a tremendous amount of of empathy for his frustration Mm -hmm. because you could just feel it coming through. And it's Mm -hmm. not even so much the disagreement in itself that he has, I think it's, I think it really hurts him. You know, I think it really hurts him to have that divisiveness going on right now. And you can, you can almost feel his emotional pain um, as he talks about it. Cause he's frustrated. I mean, it, like he said, there's millions of dollars on the line and, and everybody's lives are at stake here. You know, this, this isn't a joke. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ryan, I know we don't want to spend too much more time on this, obviously, because I know we, as well as all of Bill's Mafia, are frankly just sick of hearing about it. But I do want to let you get your thoughts in on the whole situation. Um, so, so just take it. 
Yeah, well, I think a lot of the fan base thinks that uh, the media enjoys writing about this. I think we're all fed up with it, too. We're, we're bored of it. it. I'm sick of having that in the headlines of an article or, or covering it or writing about it. But the fact of the matter is, a player was fine today. He went on social media, posted the letter, started talking all about it, and then the league... Uh, so some of the league insiders come back and say, listen, if this happens again, not only are they subjected to fines, but they could be suspended for, for four games mm-hmm. or this, that, or the other. And, and if that happens, then it's not just about the vaccine anymore. It's about this Super Bowl window that the Bills have and you taking yourself out of that equation. So it's it's about a, it's it's such a complex issue, but we're sick of talking about it. But when things happen like this on social media and they get posted and they get discussed and they get talked about, it's our job. It has to get done. So uh, at, at the end of the day, it's not ideal, but this has been a topic and it's it's one of the most important topics going on in the NFL right now and not just in Buffalo. Right. I don't I don't talk about it at all because it's it's not football to me, but it's a real it's it's real. You know, it's it's real and it's affecting every household. It's affecting everybody. And, you know, there's still, I mean, with, it's just a tough situation. It's just tough. I commend those guys for, you know, first of all, everybody is grown men. It's not like, you know, Coach McDermott has, you know, a bunch of high schoolers, you know, they have families as well. So it's like, man, it's just, I, I just feel for Coach. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. it's his mindset on, I mean, how is he doing, you know, with all this? He has a family as well. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Years down the road, that will be an interesting feature in ESPN or like that's an article Ty Dunn, I think, which right is talking to Sean McDermott years down the road, looking back on this. Um, you know, that's definitely something interesting, <laughs> but more interesting moving forward, more immediate, good things. We got a Bills game this weekend, Woo, home game, finally football with fans. Woo, oh my god, I love I love preseason. Football more than anything, especially this year. Um, but obviously, Bill Packers, I think I've heard very many uh, people say that. Yeah, right? No, I've never – this is the first year in forever I've heard people be like, you know what, I'm excited to go to a game. And, you know, it could be a sellout crowd. We were talking about it last week on, on the Folding round table when Bell was here. He's excited as well as anybody else to get out there and be those mafia. Uh, but, of course, there are things we're looking forward to other than the crowd. You know, we got to look at the matchups, all the, you know, the battles going on in camp right now. And, you know, Ryan, we haven't really talked – actually, the one time that – you came on the cap over this offseason. I was out because I can't remember why exactly. But I didn't get to hear your thoughts about anything this offseason, really, directly face-to-face or screen-to-screen. So, you know, what what are you looking forward to the most this weekend for, for Bills Packers? A specific position group battle, maybe, or anything? I'm not even going to say a specific position group battle. I'm going to say two positions that I'm keeping an eye on, though, are offensive tackle and cornerback because of some of the injuries that are taking place and some of the depth in general. Uh, You're seeing a lot of trades around the league right now where draft picks are being traded for players, players are being traded for players, and I think those are two areas where the Bills might have to look and see what's out there. Um, I, I know that the Patriots uh, added a cornerback today, Sean Wade, just in this year's draft. Mm. He, he is more of an inside cornerback. I think, if anything, the Bills need to look for a boundary cornerback yeah. based on the, the depth that's there. So this is still a, a big game for some of those younger players on this roster to show that they can step up because uh, you had Dane Jackson getting an MRI. You have Levi Wallace with a hip injury. It's concerning. It's a big issue right now. And then on offensive tackle, there's some issues there as well. 
uh, in in terms of, you know, is, is Spencer Brown going to be ready to go week one? Because that's your swing tackle. You obviously yeah. don't have much faith in Bobby Hart. Uh, there's no reason to have faith in Bobby Hart based on what we've seen. And, and then with, with Tommy Doyle, you know, Doyle, at least it's he's a rookie. He's a young yeah. kid. He wasn't going up against the best of the best in college by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, he needs some development. So what are you going to do there? Do you, do you swing a trade for a veteran tackle that you think can just come in and be a, a swing option early on in the season until you say, okay, I feel like Spencer Brown's completely healthy, and it, it never hurts to have depth at those positions either. Yeah, Greg, 100%. I know you as much as anybody were talking about the big guys in the trenches, the orb, oh, I love large overall ratio so of belly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously we, we don't have any issues at defensive line. We have an embarrassment of riches at defensive line. That That's not the current issue here. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind maybe a little mm-hmm. more belly in one guy. I, I would take one large belly, a defensive <laughs> tackle maybe. We'll work on that next year. Um, from an offensive line standpoint, it's an interesting spot. I love the way Ryan talked about it. And th- there's not a ton out there. You know, people hoard their offensive linemen this time of year. It's the reason Brandon Bean got would, people yeah. to pay up for Russell Bodine and people like that. It's it's a tough time of year. <laughs> if you poke around, there's a couple there's a couple rosters out there that obviously have a different strategic mindset right now than what the Bills do or the Chiefs do or the Ravens do. Um, you're lo- I, I'm talking about teams like the Lions, um, teams like the Jaguars that just brought in completely new regimes, new coaches, new front offices. They inherited some players. So the Lions are the one that intrigues me because they just invested a top seven pick in Penny Sewell. But they also had a handful of guys like Terrell Crosby. He's the guy who... You know, he's going to be coming up on the end of his contract here. He was a starter for them last year. They paid big money to to Taylor Decker. They paid big money to Frank Ragnow. They're paying Sewell on the other end of it. He's probably not going to be a huge part of their future. That's the kind of guy I would target. Now, he's good enough. There's no reason to cut him. They don't need to get rid of him in any sense. Um, He's coming up on the last year of his rookie deal. You might need to give them a little something, but... When we're talking Maybe about, we don't John? know. If, yeah, we don't know if we can afford to keep all these defensive linemen or all these receivers. Maybe all of a sudden it's a late round pick and a guy that we were going to cut. And, you know, I don't know, maybe Dan Campbell loves Vernon Butler and he'd love to have Vernon Butler. I don't know how these things work. Um, But that kind of scenario, those are the kind of teams I would look at and the kind of situations where you have a young roster with new leadership and people that are looking to get some turnover and that they have some veterans that aren't in their long-term plans. Those are the kind of guys I would try to go after. And, And I don't think we have a lot of those spots, but if we found a corner with some flexibility to play nickel or some flexible swing tackle coverage. Those are the two spots. I wouldn't hate having a little bit more experience in one of those spots. I have a question for the rest of the panel here, because I value your opinion so much. What are your thoughts about Cody Ford? Where is he at? Ryan, you've got Ryan Mookie. You guys have seen him more than I have in the, in the, on-site practices that, that I got to see two so far. It'll be a third one next week. And the games, I've been really impressed this year. Has that been reinforced in the, the reps you guys have got to see? Yeah, I, I think he's looked good. I think he's looked healthy. And I think that's the yeah. big thing is he went, even when he was in here as a good. rookie, he, he wasn't at 100% early on in his career last year. He was healthy for a few games, um, but then he got injured again. 
I think he is completely healthy now. I think he's in a good headspace. I, I think he's ready to roll with this first team unit. I think he's going to get the starting job and he's going to really help, especially in terms of run blocking. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Yeah, no, he's definitely in the preseason action. He looked a lot better at guard. He looked really, really good in the first few games at guard, to be completely honest. And it's, it's a shame. It's funny because no one thought he was a tackle and they were right. Yeah, <laughs> he should have been I a mean, guard right from the I beginning. Mean, like, that's the funniest part about Cody Ford. Like, like it wasn't like one of those things. Well, hey, we'll see, we'll see. Almost people were pretty convinced across the analytics world, across his measurables, that he would be a guard. And it was funny that I, I thought the Bills went a little bit out of their way to try to not make him a guard. Right. Um, but I, I'm happy to see him play the position and have some versatility in a pinch. And I think it did take three different offensive line spots to find it, but. Good for them for keeping with him. I wouldn't know. I was down on Cody Ford. I personally thought he was one of the, this regime personally's worst draft picks. So I'm happy to see him come mm-hmm. forth and really yeah. them develop player development because, quite frankly, I may have given up on him as someone just watching and, and observing. But I'm, I'm very yeah. interested to see what they were able to do with him. And line 1A or line, line 1, if you want to call it, is not that bad. It's a good offensive line. It's not great. It's a good offensive line. And I think that's what people forget is they see the offensive line in preseason. Like, how do you even evaluate Webb or Fromm? Because at points, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Like, like, the depth's a little concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they had some, a little bit more depth than they do. But line one is good. Like, I think it's a good – especially with the underrated Mitch Morris. I mean, I just think that the line is, is, is good. Yeah. And will continue to keep Josh upright, especially throwing the ball. So – I mean, I think there's a lot to look forward to, and I think Cody Ford kind of just fits in there, and I, I think it's a really interesting unit. But Greg said it best. I think Ryan got to it. Like, I think there could be a trade there. I think that that's one of the positions you take from your riches in the end, mm-hmm. and you trade for it. Those are the – people love the ends. I mean, you could get some value for something, and I think mm-hmm. that that's very likely a target. Could be a swing tackle, fourth tackle, third offensive guard. You know, Lamp didn't work out, but – I think there's a lot of movement, moving parts there. And I think the Bills, especially with all these COVID problems that could happen, the Bills right. need to find a way to roster Jake Fromm. I'm sorry. Like, I don't I don't love it personally, but I think that they need to do it. And Webb's had some rough days. Maybe Ryan or Mookie could c- comment on that. But from what I've heard, he's looked horrible lately. So I, I think he goes to the practice squad still, and you still might have to roster a third quarterback. It, it just the, – the Bills love their draft picks. And that's kind of my point as these draft – as this comes down, a lot of Bills draft picks have made this roster, and I think that they want to see more from, and I think that Trubisky can go on to greener pastures and prove himself and potentially have a job. What do you do for a long-term backup still? So I think that there's still that potential that you see Jake from on the roster come cutdown day, especially with some injuries and all these now these COVID problems coming around the league. I think Jake from yeah. becomes a little bit more valuable than he did three weeks mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> I've been banging the trade Jake from thing for a while. What? <laughs> to trade Jake from, Jake from? Jake from? I go back to the might send him back to, to be the, the quarantine quarterback. Remember, yeah. you have to stay away from the whole team. Right? Possible. You have to inactivate <laughs> players might. anyways. You might as well have a quarantine quarterback when you you know, you know have you know a certain amount of inactives on game day. I, I don't think it's crazy to say, especially as some roster injuries are starting to come down the fold. Jake mm-hmm. Fromm's a guy that do not always leave him off your roster position. I still think there's a place for him on this roster. So it's going to be interesting come cutdown day um, if they find that third quarterback, especially as they start to get a little scared at what could happen inside certain position groups. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I don't want to write about that. Position groups like cornerback. We're really, really down at cornerback right now. I mean, Mookie, we only got a few more minutes left. I know we only got some of us until about 9 p.m., so we'll make this quick. But, you know, you know, position groups you're looking at, worried about, you know, just things that people should be wary of or knowledgeable of heading into this game against Green Bay. Um. Well, I'm finally good to see. Like, this game is going to be like a, a regular season game because I'm quite- – Quite sure Aaron Rodgers is going to be on the other side playing MVP versus the so-called, you know, you know the, the MVP to be in John Shannon. A uh, little quick little preseason narrative. <laughs> but um, I want to see if David Bakhtiari is going to play. And I want to see him match up against Greg Russo. Now, Greg like Russo is doing – is Greg Russo do the same thing he's been doing to everybody else, and he do that to the best left tackle in the NFL. <laughs> Woo wee. Bill's definitely got to steal that dirty. But cornerback is obviously the, the eye store. Um it's just it's a, just a bad drop off. You know, and I and I understand that Bill's just trying to, you know, get more with less, but you know, you're gonna have to pay a little bit, you know what I mean, to get a, a solid outside corner. You know what I mean? We have Teron Johnson who's in the contract year, by the way, who's evolving right now. All right. So that year three is always that big deal. You know, what I mean, look at it with Dawson Knox year three. Look at it, how it affects around Johnson year three. And that cornerback, it's a drop off after that. So, yeah, we got they got they got to address that. Uh, hopefully they wait for somebody, you know, a, a bigger name to get cut off a team as a cap casualty. And, you know, we'll bring him in at a bargain price to come win a, a, a Super Bowl. You know, so that's 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 the only problem I'm going to have is just the, the, the secondary. Yeah. Buffalo stand up. It's the mafia. <laughs> uh, it's a Bill City. Yeah. A Buffalo Bill City. Yo. Uh, it's a Bill City. Yeah. A Buffalo Bill City. Yo. We got Josh Allen, got Step Diggs, we got Cole. Deion Dawkins, cause you know it's about to snow. Mafia, you know we on a roll. No competition and it's not even close.